Hello and welcome to Dungeon Regular, a show about modules, adventures, and dungeons. I'm Nova, also known as Idle Cartulary, and I'm reading through Dungeon Magazine one module at a time. I'll summarize that module, talk about its strengths and weaknesses, and talk about a few interesting things about it that could be used at the table or impact your own homebrew design. Today I'm going to talk about The Deadly Sea by Carol and Robert Pasnak in issue number 3, January 1987. The Deadly Sea consists two dungeons, one above ground and one underwater, with two overseas travel sections preceding them, and some underwater travel. It has a solid hook given to you by a fisherman who can't sell his fish, although he can offer no reward. These are very AD&D dungeons, high fantasy with a reliance on that more concrete spellbook, and so to my taste it's best run in Dungeon Crawl Classics or OSE Advanced, as you'd have to add some more rules to light systems to get the meaningful difference between time spent on the sea or underwater and time spent above ground here. I suspect. What can we take back to our table from the Deadly Sea, even if we don't use it in our home campaign? 1. The Above Ground Dungeon. This is the lair of the bandits who have been pillaging the undersea complex. They're right here though. You can defeat them. They're the bosses of the dungeon. I really wanted them to be our competitors in the undersea complex. The note at the end indicates the purpose of this area is to rescue the wizard and his aquatic children so that they have aid to enter the underwater portion of the adventure. There's a hidden psychic dragon that can provide the player characters guidance to help free the wizard and his children. But this assumes that the player characters care about the vengeful wizard, and that the tritons in the complex under the sea are actually malevolent in some way, which based on the tale that comes as part of the hook, doesn't seem at all clear. It's a very anticlimactic ending, I think, to the first dungeon, because you firstly don't expect the wizard and his children to be in the dungeon, again from the hook, and secondly, because with the bandit slain you have no reason to continue deeper into the dungeon. I think that what we really need here is a twist. The bandits are not what they seem. You find them, you battle them, only to discover they're actually here because the wizard is evil and he's been preying on the poor tritons. Team up with them to defeat the evil wizard who has taken up residence in the undersea complex he took by storm. Two great character descriptions. A large man who loves the sea and shares something of its nature. It's absolutely fire, to be honest. And it's all like this, there's not much to add. A lot of the descriptions, while this adventure often doesn't stray from the milquetoast style of the era, is just really good. The main thing I find disappointing is that the Undersea Dungeon doesn't really lean into being a cyclone-racked Undersea Dungeon in its descriptions. Where is the rack and the ruin? Where are the seaweeds run wild? I feel like when you pick an excellent theme like abandoned cyclone-racked underwater fortress designed by Tritons, you should lean right into it, you know? Lean right into your theme. 3. The Sea Dragon. This random encounter is incredibly misguided in my opinion. There's an encounter with a dragon, the first encounter you have when you take to the sea, and the dragon has no motivations and no lair nearby, and no interaction with either of the dungeons. All it wants is your treasure, which this is at the beginning of the adventure. You don't have any yet to lose. It's a dragon. You're riding for dungeons and dragons here. Just give it a wee lair. Make it live under the undersea complex in a natural catacomb. Make it a freed slave of the Tritons. Make it a summoned pawn of the wizard or of the bandit captain who is secretly an evil cleric. Give it goals to aside from 
to collect treasure. I know that Dragonlance was only released a short time ago when this was written, but I find it hard to believe that the wisdom of having dragons with personality hadn't promulgated across the hobby by this stage, although perhaps I'm underestimating how little cultural knowledge is produced without an internet only 14 years from the publication of the original Three Little Books. If you're including a dragon, please fill it with absurd and extreme character. Number four, the voyages. There are two travel sections, but only the first has a encounters attached to it. And these aren't randomized, but rather a list in order. I don't hate the list in order as a structure for encounters rather than a randomized list, to be honest. You can utilize it to tell some kind of interesting narrative, but that's not what this list does. As mentioned above, the first is the dragon, never to be seen again. It's a clever idea, though, if it were capitalized on. Perhaps we're supposed to continue the encounters from the first travel section in the second, but there aren't actually that many to begin with. There are far more encounters for the underwater travel down to the underwater complex than for traveling over the sea. But in underwater terrain, which is repetitive and uninteresting, because I imagine they'd occur in a dive as you just anchor above the complex, surely, and go straight down. I'd love some advice on how to render this underwater travel interesting, because I'm struggling to see how, honestly. I've watched the National Geographic channel. There's not much underwater. I fully realize this is outside the scope of this Wii Dragon magazine module, but gosh, this is the second week where I wished there was some incidental encounters just to make a unique location sing. Five motivations. The main problem with the module is once you finish the above sea portion, the player characters don't have a reason to go undersea except to be scavengers. They aren't attached to the backstory. They were asked by the hook to sort out a problem they've already sorted out on the surface. When you get to the people who own the complex, some tritons, you're simply the bad guys looking to steal from some perfectly nice people whose home was just hit by a cyclone. While the backstory resolving stuff is there, there's no incentive or way for the players to learn about it or for them to be interested in resolving it, as the characters, as interesting as they are, who know it, aren't interested or the type to tell the player characters about it. Either we need more of a twist, as I alluded to earlier, to lure the player characters underwater, or a reward. For example, the wizards say, we need help defeating the Tritons and saving my wife, we'll pay you. Or we need a reason why the player characters care at all about the backstory. For me, because I like drama and faction play, I'd be inclined to use both the twist and the reward. You're working, perhaps, for the wizards you rescued from the bandits, but when you get to the Tritons, you realize that the wizard is actually the bad guy and the Tritons were attacked by them in the first place, and were otherwise minding their own business. What do you do when you're faced with this moral dilemma? 6. The Undersea Dungeon itself. This is actually a really cool dungeon, and one that you could really let your imagination go wild in. The complex was abandoned due to a natural disaster. Now, a plethora of scavengers have moved into the wreckage, as well as the original owners come back to their home. There are good reasons for the weird stuff to be here in the dungeon. There is good reason for the treasure to be there and not protected when the player characters arrive. It doesn't utilize the three-dimensionality of what I imagine a purpose-built underwater structure for swimming creatures would look like, but it uses the unique aspects of water in a few interesting ways, taking into consideration lighting changes and sound changes and a few other things like that. Leveraging some of the more cumbersome additional rules of AD&D in this way actually makes this adventure pretty fun. I think it's cool to use the weird themes, and it's even cooler to take the quirks of the system you're using and writing for, and using them in interesting ways to match your theme. That's 
the Deadly Sea in a nutshell. I hope that you'll join me for the next episode of Dungeon Regular. If you have any questions, please reach out. I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Macedon at Idle Cartulary, and I write reviews and blog at playfulvoid.game.blog. If you'd like to support Dungeon Regular, please visit my Ko-fi at ko-v forward slash idlecartulary. You can make a one-off donation or become a member. Members get free copies of Dungeons Regularly, my zine of blank dungeon maps with tables and lists to help you populate them. They are prioritised for their questions to be included in Dungeon Regular mailbag episodes. They can make suggestions for future bathtub reviews and get to see bathtub reviews a week in advance on my Ko-fi before they go public. Our theme music is an extract from Turning the Page by Kirk Osamayo on the free music archive used under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening to Dungeon Regular.